Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and to my left, in a giant conference room from the Washington Post, Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You're familiar with this uh, concept of wedding crashing? Uh-huh. It's like a really fun thing to do, where like you kind of get to go behind the scenes. You're not really invited, but you get to participate in all the fun without actually having any of the stress of knowing the people. Yeah. We are doing something similar to that right now, but far less fun. So we're in a gigantic conference room here at an undisclosed hotel uh, in Las Vegas. Up on the big screen projector, it says 2019 NBA Summer Training Las Vegas. It is for the referees, Andrew, and they've got little stations around the uh, the room where they've marked off, you know, the paint. Yeah, mock paint. <laughs> they've got masking tape all over the carpet here. So they definitely have some middle-aged men going through illegal defense c- coverages <laughs> while everybody else is sitting in rows of like 15 to 20 seats, uh, you know, anxious to take notes. I see packets of information. Yeah. Uh, I see reams of paper. There's probably tests involved. And we're just kind of in the middle of all of it. They're, it's not going on right now because the games are happening at the gym, so all of the students are obviously being put to the test. I can't imagine how lit this place was at like 8.30 in the morning, though. Oh, there was definitely some like Steve Ballmer-esque motivational speeches going on. <laughs> and we can only just dream of being a part of the party, I guess is what I'm saying here. Yeah, Joey Crawford up in the mix, too, making an appearance. I've seen him all over Summer League. Um, oh, Monty McCutcheon's another Vegas legend. Shout out to Monty. Uh, I'm sure he was heavily involved in this too. So look, um, we're not going to be breaking down three-second calls or the coaching challenge rule changes. You know what? Can we talk about the coaching oh. challenge thing for yeah. like oh. 30 seconds? No, it's the right thing to lead with. Like we're, <laughs> <laughs> You can tell, all right? We're at the finish line of the NBA calendar. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Okay. There break, is plenty to talk about. What is your challenge take? It's the dumbest thing in the world. Uh Why are we doing this? Okay, first of all, never imitate the NFL. Part of what I love about the NBA is that it is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of the NFL. There's already too much replay. Replay gives the illusion of accuracy when in reality... It's oftentimes just as vague as calling it in real time. And then, like, the the challenge aspect of it is only going to be more frustrating. And the whole thing is just super tedious and, and frustrating for everyone involved. So I think their counter argument would be you only get one. If you get it right, you don't get a second one. Uh-huh. There's only a few different types of calls that you could use it on. Nobody's going to know which types of calls they can use it on. That's going to be half the frustration next year. Okay, so the if if you challenge something that can't be challenged, it just counts as a normal timeout. Okay. So are you worried that there's going to be a backlash where somebody tries to challenge something they don't get the even the right to challenge it. They lose their mind, and there's a technical foul. I just foul. don't need more replay in any sport. Okay. Again, I just think it's all kind of tedious, and the costs outweigh the benefits. And if you were going to tell me that they're replacing all all replay reviews in the NBA with this one coach's challenge per game. I would be very into that because then there's a little bit of drama. Like, are you going to use your challenge here? Are you going to save it for when there's like 15 seconds left or whatever? That's fine with me, but I just feel like we're kind of like extending these games for no reason. And um, it I'm seems sick like, of it, man. Yeah, I'm uh, fed up in every sport. I hear you. I'm not sure the fans win here. I'm not even totally convinced that the players win here. It does feel like they're just kind of throwing a bone to the coaches. Mm-hmm. And they've changed a lot of things, you know, the timeouts, when they can happen, how many you get. 
you know, when they go through in terms of the gameplay. And I wonder if this is sort of like a, a bone to the coaches saying, like, we know we've put you through a decent amount in terms of these changes over the last couple of years. Now you get an added degree of uh, you know, the ability to influence potentially a close game at the end of it by being able to challenge a call. Um, I mean, is that worth it, or is it really worth freaking out over? I mean, how many games? That's the thing. It's not worth being super passionate. But you're more one way or the other. So you're more worried that like they're going to use this as the starting block, and then pretty soon they're going to get three challenges per game, and then pretty soon they're going to get five challenges per game. Well, I just feel like we already have too much replay. We don't need more replay. Yeah. And um, you know, it is what it is. It's not going to make or break my enjoyment of the sport. How but. do you feel about the idea that you signal for it by twirling your finger? Oh, I love that. Directly toward a referee so you're in for you no flags you don't want the flags like the nfl you'd rather have twirling fingers yeah i well honestly i would rather have no replay review but players and coaches do the finger twirl to signify that they disagree with the call and okay. wish it could be reviewed and that's how we would operate for the next 25 years and we'll see maybe we'll have robot refs in 25 years but i'm looking forward to honestly the only part that i'm really looking forward to is i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal unless maybe there's a couple playoff games where it could actually factor but the first coach who tries to challenge and does the twirl finger without any timeouts and gets his own team a technical foul <laughs> and no challenge because you don't get the challenge regardless, Yeah, that will instantly bump that coach up to everyone's like radar as being the worst coach in the NBA, right? Perhaps. Because like that's just shooting the yourself. The of the NBA. It's like pulling a gun out and just shooting yourself in the foot in front of 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. I just think that'll be a watershed moment for this program. Yeah, well, we'll see where we end up on the challenge front. Do we have any bets on which coach will be that guy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I have, I, have, I have nothing for you. But let's stick with the rules for a second here because there were additional rules changes discussed on Tuesday afternoon at the win at Adam Silver's Board of Governors press conference, and JR said, JR sent this question in before that press conference, and he said, The biggest loser from the Kawhi saga is the NBA. This entire season, the Clippers went out of their way to recruit Kawhi Leonard for 12 months long, and it worked. We have no way of knowing whether the Clippers' actions actually swayed Kawhi, but one thing is for certain. Other teams saw how long of a leash the NBA gave the Clippers, and the next time a big free agent is on the horizon, other teams will try something similar. So, Ben, what were your impressions from Silver's comments at the Board of Governors meeting? Well, he seemed pretty annoyed and pretty ticked off about the lack of integrity he was feeling for the league or on the league's behalf because of how everyone just trampled their rules. I mean, when they had agreements of – uh, of deals, but then also like agreements for replacement players of other players who had already agreed to deals. Like I thought it really hit the watershed moment when the Celtics had already planned to agree to sign uh, Kemba Walker 24 hours before the moratorium even started. Right. That's such a bad look for the NBA. And the Celtics can be like, well, what do you want from us? The Nets are already taking Kyrie Irving. Like, well, we'd be pretty stupid if we didn't, uh, you know, try to find a, a way to replace him. Yeah, and the Horford situation forced their hands like two weeks before Yeah, I was going to say a week in advance, right? So um, they've got to figure this out. Yeah. Adam is really good at directing all of us to write the headline, which is NBA thinks tampering rules need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think he gave us enough specifics in terms of what areas they're really trying to clean up because it seemed to me that the, the number one thing that's bothering him 
is the trade requests, right. which is one portion of this, but it's not the whole conversation. And the public trade demand uh, that Davis issued, you know, was met with a fine and met with, you know, an investigation, all this other stuff. But like Paul George's trade request was not public at all. And yet it still forced or put Oklahoma City in a position where they felt like they had to make that trade. And I'm sure the Thunder are looking around like, well, what are we supposed to do here? Do we leak this? You know, like, do we try to make this an issue? Do we pursue this idea of tampering? Do we get like, do we negotiate with Steve Ballmer and say, hey, give us a fourth and fifth first round pick. Otherwise, we're going to take you to the league office for, uh, you know, shady behavior. Um, And I think that everybody's operating in a gray area. Everybody's operating much more quickly in terms of reaching agreements. I mean, another watershed moment was Kevin Durant saying that he picked the Nets without even talking to them, basically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which is okay. That's highly questionable yeah, wink 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 right on that one um and sean marks just being like yeah the superstar fell in my lap <laughs> um so i think they're either going to have to allow contact basically after the regular season starts yeah but i, I do think he's feeling the pressure of the earlier we allow contact the earlier illegal contact is going to take place right yeah and so it might be a situation where you're just getting rid of rules that are anachronistic and not capable of being enforced and you just turn it into the wild wild west right and i think we're so close to that point uh, already that maybe it would be better if we just didn't have to listen to everybody whine about tampering yeah well and i think with tampering there are a couple different types of behavior that are at play and you know the word tampering confuses the conversation to some degree because on the one hand there's tampering during the season which i think our emailer jr was talking about in terms of alleging that the Clippers were making contact with Kawhi's people all year long, and that's something that the league should be cracking down on. And that is something that the league should be cracking down on. That's also something that's very difficult to enforce. So the league's in a tough spot on that front. There's also tampering after the finals and before free agency, which obviously happened at unprecedented levels this year. And then there's talk amongst the players themselves, which is all 100% legal, but is nonetheless deemed tampering when we talk about it in the media. Like you'll hear people on the radio accuse LeBron James of tampering by text messaging guys, when in reality, like that's all 100% legal. What Kawhi did with Paul George is not against the rules and, um, and probably shouldn't be. So it's a, it's a tricky thing because tampering sounds so illicit and underhanded, but like you should be able to just talk to guys after the finals. And, and if people are tampering, then they, the league should probably change the rules on that front. I thought it was interesting, though. Silver at these press conferences is generally up there kind of spinning his wheels and not taking a stance one way or the other. And it's one of the things I enjoy about him because you kind of, like, watch him spin. And uh, it, yeah, it, I don't like it, honestly. I like David Stern's approach much better because Stern would come out and not just give the headline, but he would, like, take his hard stand and be like, here's what we need to do. And then the conversation sort of, you know, now has been moved by him to that point. And at sometimes, you know, angering the players along the way. Well, yeah. And with Silver, it's like he always wants to be everybody's friend. So he's saying, like, here are the things that we're worried about. But he just leaves it open and ended. And, you know, maybe we'll bargain this, you know, three years, four years down the line. And it's sort of and unfulfilling. He, he always goes back to that well where he says, you know, this is a difficult system to calibrate. And there's a lot of factors in play. And we're taking the long view. And we're going to see where we are in a couple years. This week, though, he took a much stronger stance where he said, look, this is not working well. We need to change the rules. 
And if we have rules that can't be enforced, that everyone recognizes are not being enforced, that undermines the integrity of the league, which I think right. is very, very accurate. So I wish he had then gone and said, hey, here's this one rule we have about no, no contact after the finals until whatever. Yeah, we're we're, we're getting that. rid of that. No, we're getting rid of it. Like We are no longer going to have that. Or we are going to propose to the players on X date that we right. modify this rule. And, and he didn't go that far, which is sort of the, the angle that I was missing. He also he was uh, kind of putting a lot of this back on the players in a way. Uh-huh. Um, and I, and that's where he was really getting delicate because he's like, you know, these, these trade requests are bad for everyone. They're bad for the teams. Uh, they're bad for the fan bases. They're bad for the players too. Yeah. And I think we should maybe pull Anthony Davis and Paul George and feel, you know, ask them like, <laughs> how, it worked out how bad are these you? for you? Because I think in the short term, for Anthony Davis especially, it worked out very poorly. But I'm sure he does not regret it in any way. And Paul George has got to be sitting back cackling yeah. at the way his work out. It was this out. easy, really? Yeah. And like, if I'm another superstar, I'm looking at Paul George's situation. It's like, wait a minute. This is now the new standard. Mm-hmm. If I go to front office quietly and ask for a trade, I better be gone within a week to the team that I want to go to. Yeah. You know, and so that is not good for the NBA. That is definitely. Well, and that's one where you do sometimes miss Stern, because while I do enjoy watching Adam Silver kind of spin it just as sort of tradition at this point, like yeah. every time I show up to a, a press conference, it's like, all right, so how are we going to just sort of like kick the can down the road and not really say anything? Yeah. Let's but, thank Las Vegas again. <laughs> yeah. Las Vegas has been a great host. Yeah. Let's great talk host. about the international impact. Yeah, We, we sold 3000 hotel rooms. <laughs> um, but the David Stern side of it, like, you got to find a way to crack down here. And I think when people talk about tampering, it's a very polarizing issue on the internet. Like I tweeted a quote from Silver that I thought was was perceptive and honest when he said, the one strong conviction that I have is that we should not have rules that are not strictly enforced. Because again, that undermines the integrity of the league if everybody is just looking at this as if it's a joke. And, um, and yet... When that when I tweeted that, I got all sorts of responses from from people being like, "Oh my God, like the NBA is a joke. Silver is a joke. He's a substitute teacher, et cetera, et cetera." And I think that the all of that angst originates from the players being able to kind of manifest their own destinies, and yeah. nobody actually cares that Kemba Walker is agreeing to a deal three days before free agency, and so people are getting upset about that. But really, like the the core tension underpinning all of this is that, you know, Anthony Davis does have the power to say, look, I'm going to sit here and be miserable and you guys are going to lose me for nothing if you don't trade me right now. Yeah, the core tension is the small market fans or fans in less desirable markets being terrified they're going to lose their guys and not feeling like they have any protection from the league office if those guys get upset. Yeah. And there's not really any way around that. So I understand where Adam Silver is coming from in terms of not wanting to like you know, try to be super heavy-handed. But I think if you go back to Stern, Doc Rivers comes out on TV and compares Kawhi Leonard to Michael Jordan during the middle of the playoffs on ESPN. Yep. Stern is not finding him $50,000. Stern is saying that's a $500,000 fine. That's yeah. a million-dollar fine. We know ex- that- we know exactly what you're doing. There's been this pattern of behavior. There's been all this chatter all season long. And you're probably going to get him in a month, or you might get him in a month. And for that, you will have to pay some major price. And I think that's where the frustration from the emailer comes is, I mean, the Clippers broke the rules, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Doc Rivers definitely broke the rule. He was caught. He was punished. But the punishment was so light. You think Steve Ballmer cares about $50,000? 
He's probably saying, hey, Doc, you should have done two interviews. <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe you should have your own show. Can we get you a podcast where you can just campaign for <laughs> Kawhi Leonard twice Break a week? Break down every Raptors game. Yeah. And so I think that that's got to be something that Silver needs to look within and say, you know what, man? Like, if you are going to have these rules, and some of these things I don't think can go away. I mean, you don't want to have open campaigning by teams uh, on behalf of other players. That violates the spirit of the rule of law that that's where you do have to Silver come was down talking about. Really hard. You have to come down much harder. But I also think that some of it is very difficult to resolve unless you're going to be David Stern. And you basically are calling up agents and are like, Rich Paul, I'm going to get you in a conference room here, and we're not leaving until you agree to like cut the shit. And it's the same with Aaron Mintz, Paul George's agent. Like Maybe that's how business used to be done and isn't being done anymore. But saving that kind of backroom conversation where you tell everybody to fall in line for the good of the league – some of this stuff is just always going to be there. Guys are going to want to be in big markets. And I think that's what we saw. There's a lot of talk about, like, God, people just love the Brooklyn Nets culture. Uh, don't even people get me started just on love that. the Clippers culture and what they're building out there. And I think that may be true to some degree. But look, markets matter. The idea that markets didn't matter was one of the stupidest kind of tropes that ha we've been floating on the basketball internet for the last five years. And I think this summer sort of puts that to rest. And yeah, I mean, it that, leaves the league in a, in a tricky spot. So people got sucked into that, and I understand why. So the idea that you could be a star in any market now more than ever is true. You could be a superstar in Oklahoma City. But that says nothing about what the superstar player, in his mind, where he would prefer to live. Well, and you can also be a bigger star in L.A. or New York than you would be in Oklahoma City, even if you're Russell Westbrook, even if you're Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, Cat, right. for instance, Carl Towns, would just be a, a megastar if he were in New York City. And that just doesn't happen if you're in Minnesota. And Giannis... As famous as he is right now, he's taking a lot of work. Ten times more famous if he had played the last three or four years in New York. Yeah, there's no question, and I think that the players, the secret's out of the bag on that one. They all know, right? And I think that um, when you're looking for solutions here, you can't solve that if you're Adam Silver. So, what are your priorities? I think the priorities are uh, perception of fairness, right? So, I think the way that you can you can get to a more fair place where all teams feel like they're involved is to say you can have contact at any point after the end of the season so that if there was anybody left still playing by the old rules and getting left behind, yeah. they, know, they no longer have an excuse. Right. I think the other way you could do it is say, look, if there's going to be contact player to player, that's legal. You know, make, like, make that very clear. That will not be uh, sort of any sort of a tampering uh, issue from the league office on that standpoint. Mm -hmm. So if your uh, front office, it's incumbent upon you to keep your players happy and to know where your players are thinking about things, you have to take on that responsibility. And if they're getting recruited by Kawhi Leonard or whatever else, don't come around and blame us. Yeah. That's your own fault for not keeping them happy, right? And then I think the other thing you can do is take a much firmer line on the recruitment stuff when it happens publicly right so maybe that means updating the rules to make it very clear what's allowed what's not tweets um and it you know, means like a media $10 statements dollar fine yeah. to the team that crosses the line and you it, have to make an example out of someone yeah and it could even be something like you know zero tolerance policy right so if anybody does something you lose a draft pick you know yeah. like that or i mean the ultimate zero tolerance policy is if a team is found to be tampering with superstar free agent x 
and they and you can prove it, then that player cannot sign with that team, and that takes him off the board for the Clippers. And I think the other thing I would do if I were them, I would raise the fines considerably on public trade requests, either from players from players' camps question, yeah. or from player agents. And I think he was sort of hinting at that might be the direction that he wants to go because um, he was just speaking at length during his press conference, Adam Silver was, about the damage that those can do. And, you know, it really ruined the Pelicans' season. Yeah. And had they not gotten Zion, we would not be talking about the Pelicans for the next five years. I mean, it Absolutely. could have sank the entire franchise. And if I'm the Thunder or any of these other small teams who are potentially losing their stars – that prospect terrifies me. If I'm the Timberwolves who you just mentioned, their whole future relies on Cat not demanding a trade. Right. If he comes out and demands a trade tomorrow, they are screwed for the next five years. Yeah. And that's a very unsafe position, an unhealthy position for these organizations to be in, um, even if you know Cat has good reasons for wanting to leave. So I think. Um, well, and I understand why. I understand where people on the outside may see this and say, "Well, look, teams can trade players whenever they want." why can't players go to teams and say, I'm not happy here, I would like to be traded? And I think but, part of but the- But teams can't say, we're gonna go trade a player. Like, right. They can't like call a press conference and be like, hey, we're gonna trade Russell Westbrook because we hate him. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just, you know, they would never do that. But I think you would get in some level of trouble, especially if you were trying to say what kind of player you wanted to get back for him. Right. By speaking publicly on that, you're well, not allowed to do that. forcing the issue then undermines teams leverage and more importantly, it destabilizes these organizations for years at a time. Like, like you said with the Pelicans, I think we would think about their future like very, very differently if they had like Jackson Hayes and the fifth pick instead of Zion Williamson. And, uh, and that is something that's important to keep in mind is like no one is going to be going to Thunder's ga- Thunder games, no matter how well they did in the Paul George trade. If they just dump Russell Westbrook, the Thunder are going to be on the margins of the NBA for like four years now. Like Shea Gilgis Alexander is good, but he's not good enough to make that team matter. Yeah, so I think that all he can really control potentially is appearances, right? Because you're yeah. not going to be able to stop the, the illicit contact behind the scenes. So I think if I were them, I would just be trying to to move all of this tampering stuff behind closed doors, in private text messages, keep it out of the media as much as possible. If somebody does come out and do what Rich Paul did with Anthony Davis, that should be a monster fine to the point where like it would actually be prohibitive so they wouldn't do that. Because there's also a difference between a report that comes out and says, sources said Anthony Davis wants a trade and Rich Paul said mm-hmm. Anthony Davis wants a trade, right? Because if you're the organization, you can say, hey, look, you know, everything's not perfect, but uh, we don't believe this report. We're working on, we're on the same page with Anthony Davis. Things are good. Yeah. If the agent comes out and says it, you know, it's like, all right, well, now you're in a public stare down and you probably lose your job like Dell Demps did, right? So, and you're also going to have to come up with more creative ways to incentivize guys to stay in one place. And I think that's another test for Silver and the Players Association as they try to calibrate a system going forward. Yeah, they're kind of stuck on that, though, man, because the, the, the money is so big. We're seeing it time and again. The, the idea of the five-year contract or the four-year contract is not appealing anymore. And it used to be, oh, I don't want to lock in for a six-year deal like you yeah. know, a decade ago. 
you know, Kawhi only wanted three. Right. You know, that's another test where well, it's like the money is so big though that right now they it, it then inhibits the roster building around a star if he stays, and we've talked about that a thousand times on this podcast, and um, and kind of becomes yeah. counterproductive if you're trying to give them a carrot to stay and contend for titles. But to me, that is actually a smaller problem than the idea that you can't incentivize the very best yeah. players to Once stay you on cross your teams. The two hundred million yeah. threshold, and for Anthony Davis, it was like he didn't even take the the full length second contract right Mm -hmm. so he's already got 100 mil in the bank now he's already in position to do whatever the heck he wants even though he has nothing going on off the court in terms of meaningful um you know endorsements and that kind of stuff so that is the biggest problem and i'm not sure how you can rope guys into staying with their teams unless you extend the length of a rookie contract potentially yeah uh, which the players union would not be happy about unless you um, change the percentages on the maxes. So maybe on your second contract, rather than that, you know, being that mini max that we talk about, maybe you're if you just designate elo- a guy, yeah, franchise maybe, cornerstone, yeah, whoever it would be, and just say you can get that 35% max that usually you'd have to wait for 10 years to be able to get. Um, and I think that could be effective if you're making some of that money uncapped and and allowing those teams to continue to build around those guys because I think there are a lot of priorities that any superstar player is juggling. You want to make that money. You also want to be in a market that optimizes your footprint and brand and everything else. And then you also want to contend for titles because that's how guys are judged among their peers. And um, right now, you know, Kawhi is going to be able to do all three in L.A., whereas he probably would not have been able to do as much of that in Toronto over the last few years. He probably wouldn't have been able to do as much of that in San Antonio, even if he had stayed and signed that Supermax. So I understand where guys like Kawhi and Anthony Davis wanted to go that route. Um, But it it just – it creates a lot of tension that is going to be very difficult to resolve. And Adam Silver – has done a mostly good job since he's been commissioner. He's had a very high approval rating, but the next few years are going to be an interesting test for him because some of what he would have to do to curtail some of this won't be super popular and won't make him like a hit on pro labor Twitter. And uh, and I'm not sure. I don't know. Does he have the backbone for it? I mean, I think that's a real question. Like, as long as the league is successful. I think he's so into being partners with the players that we haven't really seen him, you know, lay the hammer down. Right. And I, I think that's an open question. My final less important take on tampering is this. Presti did not whine about the uh, the trade request. He had a little bit of salty language in the press conference just to barely, you know, kind of subtle shade in how he worded sort of what happened with Paul George. But he didn't publicly raise the issue. Mm-hmm. Masai Ujiri was sort of asked, you know, what do you think about everything? Uh, that went down with Kawhi Leonard, and he's like, look, this is the game that we play. We know how it works. You know, he didn't make a big issue out of this uh, when given the opportunity. Yeah. I think the fan whining on tampering needs to chill out. I agree. I agree. And it's funny because like, as we Take your lessons this, from the guys who are most personally affected. Like, they're not just doing that because they're classy. I think they're doing it because they're realists. They understand that no matter how much they want to kick and scream about it, it's not going to get them Paul George back. It's not going to get them Kawhi Leonard back. And they also realize that their job is to cater to players. And that's sort of what we're finding out here over the last five years is if you're a smart organization, it doesn't matter how many of these second-round picks that you're able to accumulate and turn into, you know, functional rotation guys like the Nets get credit for or whatever. The real thing that they did was clear the cap space and exist in Brooklyn and, you know, not screw it up so that stars might actually want to go there. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. 
Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Well, here, I want to read one other email that we got from Nathan who says, Hi, guys. I think you have the Westbrook thing wrong. It's true that selling Russ is likely the logical thing to do, but it's important for a small market franchise to have guys that they look back on as iconic one-team players. I think this helps breed legitimacy in small markets, whether it's San Antonio, Dallas, a team that can always rally behind Dirk, or all the really great franchises that have had guys like this all throughout the ages, whether it's the Lakers with Jerry West, Magic, and Kobe, Boston with Bill Russell, Havlicek, Bird, and Pierce, the Knicks, who've lost their way but still have Willis Reed to cling to. Um, I see that is a point that I find interesting. Yeah, let me, let, let's ask some under 30 fans how they feel about the Willis Reed era. Yeah, we'll see. That's the tension. It's like maybe younger fans just don't really care about any of this. I think that the the tampering angst is overdone, and I'm honestly not particularly passionate one way or another. I I think the players create 90% of the value from this sport, and so if they have all the power, then that makes sense to me, and that is mostly fine. Um, but I do also think that if you're trying to sell the game, teams matter, and at least the illusion of loyalty and legitimacy in terms of like guys representing one city matters um, to the most like to mainstream fans I would say and there's like a rabid community online that will follow the NBA no matter what team any any of these guys are on but like if Joel Embiid was on the Blazers in two years like that would be kind of a weird look Um, and I don't know where that would leave the majority of Philly fans and at some point, just like shuffling the deck chairs every two or three years could leave the NBA in a strange place. Well, yeah, I think it, it, especially if the same teams are over and over again, either getting their star players poached or just never in the mix for the other players coming to them. Yeah, it's going to really turn off certain fan bases. Uh, there's no question about it. I think with the Westbrook example that he's uh, using, I'm with you that they should try to keep him if he was still the same guy, you mm-hmm. know? But I don't think that even the most loyal, diehard Thunder fans would be excited to watch Westbrook this year. Yeah. But by the second half of this year, if they're not in the playoff picture, sentiment's going to start to change about the direction. And then you go forward two years from now, how many more times do they want to keep running it back with one guy? Uh, it's going to become less and less fun, less and less stimulating. And he's already achieved lifelong love with the Oklahoma City Thunder fan base, right? If he never plays a game for them 
It's I not think going, he's an icon regardless. He, That's yeah, a good it's, point. it's not going to change how they view him. He's going to get, be the first guy to get his number retired, I'm sure. He's going to have a statue outside the building. I'm sure they'll do that for him. Um, and that is true you know, no, no matter how the next couple of years shake, shake out. Uh, I do think it's important for small market teams to have those kinds of players, but well, I don't Westbrook, think, Westbrook is kind of a unique case and is a bad example to use here because Westbrook right. seems to be but in there, the like DeRozan on the Raptors phase of his career. Right. But there was like you know, there's the Dame example, the Giannis example you mentioned. Like, there's a few of these guys, but I think a lot of this stuff is dead, man. Like, I yeah. think it's you know, there's going to be fan bases that have to adjust their expectations, and it's funny because when it happens to some other fan base, you know you don't care but once they come for your guy right and it's like wait a minute now everything's like you know horribly screwed up and like you're worried about the Sixers fans about how would they feel well you know shouldn't we be uh, crying the same tears for the Pelicans fans yeah and just because there's more Sixers fans and they're louder on the internet and they're in a bigger city with more media attention uh now we're going to feel bad for them and we in a way that we didn't feel bad for Pelicans fans that doesn't seem right okay well I agree with most of where you are. I'm mainly trying to sort of play devil's advocate on this one. Right. So I'm just saying, like, for this emailer, what I want you to really think about is what is your pitch to a top 10 superstar-level player who has all the money he needs, who wants to enjoy life off the court, who wants to make as much money as possible, who wants to have a say in where he lives, uh, and who he p- uh, plays with and who he plays for and the type of organization uh, that he represents, um, what's your pitch for him to be loyal for loyalty's sake, right? Mm-hmm. This is just a completely different equation when you're trying to pitch those kinds of players than it was with Willis Reed or Bill Russell or even Magic or Mike. I mean, people forget Mike really had one big cash-out season, yeah. and his money, a lot of it was coming from Nike. Um, well, and uh, the other thing that I think – Going forward, the way I would like to have this reframed is to stop thinking about this as sport ruining behavior versus like maintaining the status quo, because ultimately what we're really talking about here is a pretty interesting interplay between power and leverage among the players and what's best for the the league and it's difficult to calibrate and there are no easy answers and we're just going to have to sort of wait and see how it's all resolved. But um, in the meantime, and just to follow up on like the, the the difficulty of the pitch that I'm laying out, I mean the Cleveland Cavaliers gave LeBron more power and influence within an organization than any superstars ever had before, right? Yeah, they're hiring his buddies. They've got everyone on his staff, like on his staff. He's got an entire, you know, all these different people are basically on their official payroll, allowed all access, you know, wherever they want to go with the games. Um, he couldn't have been more beloved in the market given his local ties there Mm -hmm. and then ultimately did any of that matter when it came time to him to choose the lakers yeah so why are these other top 10 level guys going to be different and why are we going to be expect them to say you know what i'm playing for the name on the front of the jersey like i just think that's an antiquated uh, approach that most star level guys at this point of their careers that's not what motivates but them. you can recognize where Cavs fans would be frustrated by that or Thunder fans would be frustrated by that I, I know I'm just saying like we've seen this happen so many times that, that you can be mad about it, it. so it's you, like you yeah. either watch the games and see the guys who are out there and cheer for your team or you can go around and cheer for whichever your favorite players are and become a little bit less team uh I guess what they call it agnostic right yeah like you're you're kind of you know picking and choosing your favorite star players and following them through your journey, or you can stop watching the games. Those are your options, you know. And if you're going to sit there and whine about it, I just think that you're clinging to a past that's 
gone. Yeah, and I think that's a clear-eyed way to look at it. And um, I am more curious as to where we go from here than passionate about any particular path to pursue. I am more passionate about not having challenge flags in the fucking NBA, but we'll see. Um, the rest of the podcast, let's just bounce through a bunch of random topics here. Ben. I feel like you assembled some pretty wacky takes. Well, there's a lot here. Okay, first we're starting with Sebastian, who says, Hi there, Andrew and Ben. As requested, your Pascal Siakam hype is here. Let's ditch Kawhi Inc., despite him being the current best player in the league. We'll see if his decision to upgrade his healthcare professional from a nurse to a doc pays off <laughs> later. God, that's great. Why don't you ever have good lines Knee like this? slapping Gulliver humor. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, Kawhi is no longer the most exciting player in the league for he, me. He never was. Because we have Pascal Siakam, the Giannis who can shoot. Why does Giannis Inc. exist again? Let's look at some stats. And look, I'm not going to bore people by reading through the stats comparison between Siakam and Giannis. Mainly, I'm mad at you, Ben, because mm. you put out the call mm. for Siakam hype mm. and thirsty Raptors fans to pour into our email, and this is what happens. I'm not okay with this. I don't want any Siakam-Giannis comparisons for the rest of the year, and honestly, if people just chill on the Siakam hype, email us in 12 months if he makes All-NBA. Okay be a little nicer these guys did you know what did we just talk about being nice to these fan bases they that lose won place? a title okay <laughs> i had a conversation with our our raptors fans kevin and and dan who came out to vegas uh i look they're well, bottom like, line it still hurts i don't care what these people say there are five having, or six teams in the nba that have a shot to actually right. attract superstars and win titles and for the other 25 teams you have maybe like a one in 20 shot at ever winning a title and they got theirs, so I don't feel bad. And you know, we're not going to go down the Siakam hype road this year. We're going down that road because um, he deserves it. First of all, I think it's going to be justified. Now, comparing him to Giannis Does is he blasphemy. It? Come on. He doesn't deserve Giannis <laughs> comp, but he deserves a lot of hype. I mean, we're talking about the Eastern Conference. He's a top what? Top three, top four. That's what. It's, <laughs> so we better be talking about him. I mean, it, I think he's ready for that next step up. And I also think, no matter what the Raptors fans say, and they're having a good time. It hurts. Yeah. Okay. They just they, they got rejected I would be at their peak in the moment. Afterglow for years to come. I understand that, that but you know you say that now, but when once you taste it and you're feeling like you're at your peak, I mean they thought they were going to keep him, and he mm. and he rejected them, and they're happy that he didn't go to the Lakers. I understand that part of it for sure. Um, but you think you don't think it's going to be painful if he goes and wins a title with the Clippers next year? You don't think they're going to feel that? Uh no. I would go back and watch my DVDs of Fred Van Vliet. But let's move on, though. Thomas says, is Boogie Cousins joining the Lakers not a big deal, as you guys haven't addressed it on the pod? Won't that move allow Anthony Davis to flourish at the power forward position? What do you think, Ben? Um, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins was not good last year, was not good in the playoffs. He wasn't healthy. He's got two serious leg injuries after in the last 18 months that he never got completely healthy from. Yeah. Um, I honestly, the reason I didn't mention it is because I don't know whether Boogie is going to be a plus or a minus. I'm not sure there's much in between, honestly, because he's going to play because he's DeMarcus Cousins, and that will either help the Lakers or he might be the type of guy who is getting minutes in the same way that Rondo got minutes last year because of his name and because of his standing in the league. 
and the Lakers may be more productive with him on the bench. And I don't know whether he's willing to like embrace that role yeah. at this point in his career. I think it's tricky because like Golden State was the ultimate opportunity for him to take a step back on a lot of that stuff because yeah. he had so much more to gain from them than vice versa, right? Because they had other center options because they had won and he had never won anything because they could you know take it slow with him. And I think the Lakers are going to be more desperate for his production, like more willing to kind of force him into situations to get something out of him than the Warriors ever were. And I'm not sure they're going to like the results. And so then there's going to it's going to kind of come due at some point where it's like, all right, man, like we're out there. You're turning the ball over a lot. You can't move on defense. You're not the guy you were two years ago. You know, you're getting re-injured or whatever else it might be. And I think they're way better off using him as a, a sub yeah but do they have the you know the institutional credibility to be able to pull that off is that's Fra the thing that is I frank about. vogel have that bedside manner that steve kerr with the backing of kevin durant you know and all their stars well yeah and it's also like it's easier for cousins to be on the bench when there are four hall of famers on the floor and you can easily accept that like okay right. i'm just here to play my role when but, it's like, like javel <laughs> javel mcgee is throwing the ball into the third row accidentally and you're thinking this guy's starting over me no yeah. it's it's tough and I mean, to to his point about does Cousins make life easier for Davis, uh, I don't know if I see it that way. I think that the Lakers' best lineups are going to have Davis at the five rather than having a center in there. And I think you're going to want to keep the the minutes, the hard minutes off Davis during the regular season as much as possible. So it will be worth that's, using. That's going to be Boogie's value. Yeah, McGee's minutes and Bo Boogie's minutes during the regular season are going to be important because it does reduce the strain on Davis. But I don't think that Boogie's actual presence on the court is going to be that helpful to Davis because I think Davis is better off having fewer bodies in the paint. Uh -huh. and, I, and I think that at times, because they both put up such huge numbers in New Orleans, people thought that was like a really good, really functional combination. I don't think it was ever that good of a pairing. It, it always seemed just kind of awkward to me. And you throw the LeBron factor on top of it where Cousins is never going to be able to get the numbers he wants to get because LeBron, LeBron's going to have the ball so much. Um, I just don't see Cousins pulling the best version of Davis out of Davis. Like, I right. think the best version of Davis uh, involves Cousins watching from the sidelines, waving a towel, getting excited because LeBron just threw him an alley-oop and the paint was empty. There was no other bodies in there. Yeah, I agree, and that's why we haven't mentioned it because I think that maybe one out of five times this next season with Boogie on the Lakers will end well and he'll be a positive for the Lakers but there are too many other scenarios where it doesn't work. And Well, and by the way, this is why I bent over backwards to give Cousins credit during the finals for that he, incredible he performance. He did a great job. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't every night, but that one game he had was so clutch, so big for them. It really helped ex them extend the series, and it was so gutsy, and it was so unselfish for him to put his own health, uh, you know, kind of put that on the back burner for mm -hmm. the team's success. Um, and the fact that he could still do it despite what he was playing through was incredible. Um, but part of the reason why I was giving him that love at that moment was because I don't feel great about how the next couple of years are going to go thing. for him. And I think the NBA has shown, the entire league has shown, they're betting the same thing. Yeah. Right? You look at the kind of contract he got last summer, you look at the kind of contract he got this summer, the league is basically saying we're out on DeMarcus Cousins. Right, and it's unfortunate because the way things have gone are just crappy for him. And I think everybody who follows basketball feels bad for the way things have gone. But at the same time, um, just looking at it realistically, the next couple of years could be complicated. And speaking of the next few years, Kentucky Seth says, don't you guys see that now if LeBron gets a title, it means infinitely more 
than winning one with yet another super team. What do you think about that? I mean, I've, to- I've said it time and again, I think all titles are worth the same. I okay. mean, you disagree with me because you don't want to give KD any credit for anything he does in his career. That uh, is such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but I think all rings count the same. When, when history judges them, they care about the total quantity, not um, the specific circumstances of each one. Yeah. And so I think... Well, it's funny because if LeBron had won building a team with Kawhi and Anthony Davis, it would have burnished his legend in yeah. a specific way it would have it would have hit the off-court influence part of it would yes. have become the storyline he would have gotten all the credit for recruiting Kawhi, and you know he is the one he was the first one he's there the mastermind right chess master you know he's like the kasparov or whatever and so i think that he would have gotten 100 percent credit for winning a title with that group yeah even if Kawhi was the best player and even if Kawhi got the finals mvp award or if davis winds up winning like there was a scenario where like davis could be the regular season mvp and Kawhi could win finals mvp Mm-hmm. But LeBron would still get full credit for all of that, um, so I disagree with the. And now there's a scenario where Davis could win regular season as MVP, and LeBron could win Finals MVP. Well, they got to so make the finals for that to happen. They do, they do. There's a lot of work to do, and part of what's fun about this season is that all of these stars are going to be tested in a major way and that includes lebron and we'll see how he responds i do understand i wasn't trying to say that shady by the way i just when talking to people like this week yeah around the league i just feel like there's a lot more respect for the clippers than the lakers oh no or, or a lot more like fear for what they're capable of doing among people in the league do you feel the same way i talked to somebody the other day who was talking about his his torn groin last year and said he has not he didn't look the same even when he came back True. and there's real worry about what he's going to be going forward which i think is fair the other side of that coin is that lebron has been superhuman for like 95% of his career, and there's reason to give him the benefit of the doubt and what he's going to be next year. But still, it's the first kind of hint of mortality we've seen. For sure. And then you look at the rest of the team. And that's that's what I mentioned. Is like I think that the respect factor is coming from the Clippers, like three through ten. Yeah. Versus the Lakers, three well, through ten. Even the the the. Terrence Mann is a guy that Clippers added uh, via the draft who is, like, pretty promising. Like, the Clippers just nail all the little things, which is a really good sign. And the Lakers are going back to the well of, like, guys who were big names three years ago. Like, Avery Bradley, I don't know, good luck with that. Like, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And um, and I think that's where the rest of the league kind of side-eyes what L.A. is doing. But at the end of the day, if LeBron is out of his mind and Anthony Davis is out of his mind, the Lakers are going to be tough regardless. So, um, Speaking of which, though, James says, with player power at an all-time high, are we now seeing a new way to build an NBA team rather than tanking? If you get a superstar, their leverage has never been higher to force teams to go all in. What do you think about that? Because that is ultimately what we've seen with both the Clippers and the Lakers. and The Nets, too? Well, the Nets, I don't know if they're all in. They haven't forfeited future assets since they were able to get KD and Kyrie in free agency. They did have to tie up $40 million and DeAndre Jordan for some reason. But, like, I do think, like, this has turned into an all-in bet for the Clippers that they may not have made if they had a choice and I don't know if the Lakers would have been so desperate such as to have zero leverage with the Pelicans and give up everything they gave up to get Anthony Davis if LeBron wasn't there kind of sitting outside Palenka's office being like, all right, are we going to get this done? 
So the reason why I throw the Nets in there too, because I think there's more similarities than differences. They didn't have to make some crazy trade, but they did have to sacrifice D'Angelo Russell. Yep. And not only the player, but sort of the symbolic value of a guy that they had nurtured, coached up. They were trying to like make him sort of the face of this rebuilding movement that was going to just make steady progress until like, you know, they wind up being this contender. And then they're saying, you know what, we're going to throw away that entire identity and just be a superstar landing pad. And, you know, we're going to, take on the risk that are associated with uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and hope that their star power is more important than all the things that we've been preaching for these last couple of years. And it's enough to overwhelm their own red flags, right? So yeah. they're, they're betting pretty big organizationally on these guys. And if it doesn't work out, it will be a major setback for them for a while, right? And it limits the flexibility long-term. I mean, that's the thing that I would worry about on the Clippers side is that I would really trust that front office to continue to build around the edges of that team over the next few years with picks, whether you're using the draft picks or whether you're using them in trades. And the same is true with the Lakers. I wouldn't trust the Lakers as much as I trust the Clippers, but it's, it's a similar situation where you now don't have much to trade. You don't have much space around these guys to add anybody in free agency. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how those decisions age over the next few years because... Would you agree with me, though, that the Clippers are a better position than the other two because they've got guys who are potentially tradable during this season? Um, Who? Well, you could say... Harkless and his deal? Yeah, or but any of these. I mean, if they just don't fit for whatever reason, like you could trade Lou Williams for something. You could trade pa- Patrick Beverly for something. He was getting interest on the market. Um, so they're a little bit more flexible here. Montrez Harrell definitely has value. Um, and there's pieces that they could use to kind of like rejigger things, whereas I look at the Nets, like I... You know, three through ten for the Nets. I don't love their group, and I think with the Lakers, like all those guys were available to the Lakers on, you know, basically low-cost deals because they don't have much if any value around the league yeah absolutely but i mean that is still a distinction that uh, may not matter if paul george and Kawhi don't play as well as they're expected to play right right well and and harrell is a free agent after this season and he's going to be tough to bring back because there aren't many free agents next summer and so he'll probably get pretty expensive if he plays as well as i hope he does because watching montrez harrell is amazing um, the internal peer pressure on that one's going to be high for him to stay. Right? Yeah. Like, come on. We've we've nurtured you. We've got a great thing going here. Just take ten or fifteen million dollars less. Not that Steve Ballmer will care about a luxury tax payment, but it's just a tricky situation. And what it reminds me of is the way LeBron has operated on the Heat, the way he operated the Cavs in particular, and the way he's he's playing things out with the Lakers. That's sort of what we saw the Clippers do. And because the Clippers are smart, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying, oh, this can work. They'll work around the edges. Well, and because they're in L.A., we're, we're saying this could actually work for you because you're a desirable market. I think the difference between this approach to team building and tanking is you can tank in any market. Yeah. I think that's a strategy that well, would work everywhere. Well, that's definitely true. Everywhere. And this strategy, I don't think that if you're just a random team, there's probably eight teams that could do something like this. And when you're stripping the cupboard bare, though, it works for a year or two, and then you start to look around, and you're like, man, like we don't have many good options to improve this team. Well, that's why I said Presti was such a winner for OKC, because I think, 
I think all of these situations it can is. blow up. And I think that the fact that Kawhi's deal came out now, it's a two plus one instead of four. Yeah. That changes that equation too. Like if I was the Clippers and I knew that I only had him for two plus one, I would have been more hesitant right? to make the George trade. And I get that he's doing two plus one so that he can opt out and sign at that 10 year max. Oh, and- but I'm not trusting his word on that. I don't, like if you ask him and say like, what's your plan after 10 years? And you know, he just completely blindsided Absolutely. the Spurs, quit on them for a year, showed up in Toronto for one year. There, you know, And we don't know how his body's going to be. And right. by the way, if he had committed very early to the Clippers, they would have been able to say, all right, we're not worried about him going elsewhere. Paul George has requested a trade. We're going to wait this out a little bit and maybe give you three picks instead of five right. and every pick swap on earth. And, like, I don't know. That's That's the type of thing where it's like, using your player power to basically gut your team's future i it's no shot at the players i just don't know if it's the best strategic decision if you're looking to kind of like no, it's it's a conflict between his best self-interest and the clippers best self-interest and but are, his best interest may be for the clippers to hold on to some of those assets so they could build a title team in three years and in addition to this year I mean, you tell that to his face. I think he'd have good counter arguments about what his best self-interests are, which would be maximizing. Well, so would LeBron a couple right. of years ago, but he would have been wrong. Well, I know, but I still think that they would reach the same conclusion. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, you know me. I think that all these guys should do whatever they possibly can to win as many titles as possible. But I think there's, it's a more nuanced balance between that. We can't say that Le- every decision LeBron has made along the way has been in pursuit of maximizing the number of his rings. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have gone to L.A. if that was his decision, right? Mm-hmm. So well, I think that— L.A., I think, had a, a number of assets. They just ended up cashing all of them in for— clutch client number two i'm just saying when when he hit free agency if you were ranking the places that you're most likely to win as many rings as possible the lakers would not have been number one Mm -hmm. he was weighing all the other off-court factors you know the business stuff and all that i think what he was weighing with the lakers was that the the title window for 2019 was closed because kevin durant was still going to be in golden state so let me go take a gap year essentially and then reload for 2020 with a team that is in LA will have that appeal and have a number of assets to trade and you know whether like would would LeBron have won a title had he forced his way to Houston and and had Houston gut everyone else on their roster maybe I don't know um yeah and, well he didn't you know, even yeah. Philly like there weren't many other options that were more attractive than I'm what just, the Lakers I'm just saying offer. we're two years in he didn't make the playoffs and now he's got a really nice co-star with Anthony Davis, but a whole bunch of other guys who can't play defense. And it's not guaranteed that they're going to make the playoffs next year. They should. It's not guaranteed they're going to make the conference finals in a really tough conference. And so I just think that, like, these superstars are not solely bent on maximizing their winning potential and willing to make the kinds of sacrifices that we think would be smart for them, mm-hmm. we've just seen it time and time again. Yeah. Because if they were, Kevin doesn't leave Golden State. <laughs> well, and I also think, just to return to the emailers question, there should be a balance between the urgency that we saw with the AD trade and the Kawhi trade and protecting some of those long-term options because I think that benefits the players more than they realize. Um, and, and that would have been true with LeBron in Miami would have been true with LeBron and Cleveland, although Cleveland didn't have a lot of flexibility regardless. So um, it is what it is. But moving on. I guess I just think Kawhi came out of this in really good shape 
because just like LeBron, he can leave in two years if things break bad, right? Yeah. And in the meantime, he's getting as much money as possible. He's setting himself up for the, the maximum possible contract that he can get after two years. He got the guy he wanted to play for. He's got a championship coach. He's got a pretty deep uh, you know, collection of supporting talent. Well, now we're laying bare the difference between me and an NBA superstar. Right. That, because that, if that's I what made I'm trying a big to, decision, right. I would be like, you know what? I want the Clippers to be, be my home for five to seven years, not two years, and we'll see where we are. And it's not just you. I think that is the standard mentality that we have come to expect from star guys. Is like they're going to want to have a place to call home and a place to be the man. And what we're learning every summer with the shorter contracts, with the team up scenarios, with the you know shifting, you know the entire chessboard getting you know knocked over by major injuries, that these guys are thinking more year to year. Um, and it, for LA, maybe they're viewing it like it's a win that they even got three. Three what? Like years on the contract, like two plus one. Like, you know, that could have been a one plus a one. one plus one, yeah. You know? Yeah, perhaps. So I think that... Um, but how do you think LA feels about having to trade everything they had to give up to get Paul George? I think, I, honestly, I think Balmer is just one of the most effort guys there is like yeah. i don't think he cares but i do i you're the risk that you're mentioning that are available to uh, or that are going to strike the clippers in the not too distant future uh, are real are very and real and very large and they're bigger than they needed to be that's the thing but the, that that's the difference between you and Kawhi. Kawhi just doesn't he doesn't really need to worry about that yeah okay um, and we could try to convince him but i'm sure the clippers did try to convince him because they're smart people and they'd say look Kawhi, here's your options a, you know, we're going to have not as many guys two years from now, potentially, or B, you know, you get every single thing that you want right now. And we saw his choice. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of owners, Dior says, who do you think is a cheaper owner, Clay Bennett or Tillman Fertitta? I think Tillman Fertitta is atop the cheap owner rankings. One day we should do a pod that we do not release to the public where we go through and rank the cheapest owners in the NBA. Uh, but for now, I don't really know what more we can say on that front. I mean, Sarver is cheaper. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, this is why we need to do the pod. What about, I mean, I hate to, to do this to you, but what about Ted? Uh, he's probably in the mix, you know. And then there's Ted, there's Sarver. Oh, actually, I mean, I hate to say this. It's Mike. <laughs> Mike who? Oh my God! It is Mike. <laughs> Mike who? Oh, Michael Jordan holding it down in Charlotte, just counting his checks. Um, and yes, so I think it's Sarver one, Mike too. I mean, we could, we'd probably have to go through like payroll year by year. Well, and then you got the Reinsdorfs in Chicago oh, yeah, who have just been talk about counting those checks. Um, but Steve Ballmer on the other side of the spectrum. Somebody asked, I don't have the name here, but he says, we can all agree he's not paying journalists to pump up the Clippers, but how much money is Steve Ballmer going to be willing to spend in legal ways going forward? And that is actually going to be a fun subplot to follow. Like, how crazy will the Clippers experience get over the next few years? This guy mentioned greasing the L.A. City Council to get an arena done in the next two years. Well, like, I mentioned that on the, on the pod that we did right after the signing. I mean, I think... They need a new arena. They've won. He really wants a new arena, and he has enough money where it should be a discussion. It's just a negotiation, right? Like yeah. eventually, they're going to let him build his arena. So this, if I were him, after you know getting basically two home runs this summer, like I would want that arena as soon as possible because I would want to be making the kind of money that you know a fraction of the money that the Warriors have been making or, or potentially making at Chase Center 
to recoup some of the investments. So to me, like that would be, that would be the thing to keep an eye on, right? Like does the arena have some crazy corporate partners that make no sense as arena partners? Yeah, I want this to get as opulent as possible out in LA. I mean, this guy also mentioned the New Balance load management facility. Like let's make it controversial. Let's get like Dennis Robertson living in a castle in Bel Air. I don't care what Steve Ballmer wants to do. Uh, but I'm I'm ready to be entertained because he does have fifty billion dollars <laughs> and like right, and at think, this point he's like Prokhorov who actually knows what he's doing or seems to. And here's the thing: this was like his first real foray into aggressive ownership and management. Yeah, like he took it pretty chill for the first couple of years, like slowly tearing it down, trading Chris, trading Blake, letting DJ walk, trying to get his bearings. But over the last like 24 months, he's brought in like his own people, his own staff, and they went all out to get Kawhi Mm -hmm. and it worked. And they definitely played in multiple gray areas Yeah, and weren't really punished for it. So I feel like- Would it be salary cap circumvention? You know how like every player will sometimes have like a personalized pair of beats at their locker? Like could Ballmer give every player like a personalized mega yacht if they make the playoffs and get home court advantage? I don't know the rules on that. I'm just saying that unleashed Ballmer is a major figure to watch because he's got nothing but positive feedback from this experience. Yeah. There's been no downside to it <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Like there's been no backlash. I mean, watching him go around and just shake the other owner's hands, you know, he's been a very um, gracious winner here in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. But he also knows he's the winner. Like, right. he knows he's the man. And I think he's probably, you know, there was actually a moment when the uh, the Warriors eliminated uh, the Clippers in the playoffs where they went, he went over and had a handshake with Joe Lakeup. And it's like a 50-something billion dollar handshake. Yeah, these we two talked guys. about it on the podcast. Right. And you're just thinking, like, for a guy who's as competitive and successful as Steve Ballmer, there's, like, nothing more he would want at this moment of his life than to basically be Joe Lakeup, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like 85% of the way there now that he's got these stars. They're the title favorites. It's not like he's going to stop now. If not, if anything, it's only going to ramp up more. it's time to get crazier yeah. and crazier. I remember when Steve Ballmer, this was before he had bought the Clippers, and he was rumored as a potential like Seattle owner. And at that point, he was kind of like an, an AAU. He was like bankrolling an AAU team in Seattle, and there was like a – I think he was actually bankrolling a high school and there was a controversy surrounding recruiting. So congrats to Steve Ballmer for graduating from Seattle high school basketball controversies to breaking the NBA a little bit here. Um, You know what I hope? You know, Lee Jenkins is like the nicest guy. He's always been the nicest guy. I hope this goes straight to his head. (laughs) (laughs) I hope all the Clippers, like Lawrence Lawrence Frank just takes it to the next level. Lee Jenkins just takes it to the next level. It's not circumventing any sort of salary cap to get Lee Jenkins his mega yacht after this (laughs) summer. So if nothing else, that should be the takeaway from this section of the podcast. His Instagram this summer, Lee's going to have to start one it'll be like white parties it'll be like <laughs> we'll be like is this Harden's party or is this Lee Jenkins's party <laughs> exactly um all right so Waz says Ben the basketball gods do not take kindly to stubborn takes and I hope you've taken notice just mm. look at the evidence mm. after your repeated criticism of DeMar DeRozan's game he is now traded to your beloved Spurs after naming Raptors fans the termites Toronto wins the title over your beloved Kevin Durant Warriors. 
And after your unwavering support of Durant's Golden State decision and refusal to acknowledge criticisms, Kevin Durant signs with Kyrie Irving's Nets. After all of this, will we see a new, more open-minded Golliver in 2019 and 2020 after this humbling experience? Look, Waz, your takedowns might get to Andrew. They're not going to get to me, okay? Come on. This is a, a real poor framing by you. I, I really have problems. You don't with this. feel like the universe is out to get you? I uh, mean, look. Th- look, there's moments, but, I mean, it's not stubborn takes. These are, like, very carefully derived principles about life <laughs> and basketball right so they're like, certainly unwavering okay i can speak from experience first of all uh derozan going into the spurs whatever it proved my point that he wasn't a playoff player and that they needed to upgrade at that spot if they were going to win a title uh-huh. lo and behold that was correct i look at that as a win the fact that he's ruined the spurs for the next couple of years is just a side casualty of the greater point where hashtag prove them there was no proving involved. I proved it. Okay, that's number one. Now, number two, people take termites negatively. That was a show you know of what? respect and endearment. You've done a really good job trying to rewrite the history on the termite nickname. I respect it. We have met a number of Raptors fans that we've come to know and love over the last like six months or so. Okay. At the same time, the termite nickname began because... <laughs> termites well because raptors fans would flood into our inbox yeah. like termites being after... completely wrong about demar Derozan, right mm-hmm. okay so that's fine i like, it just wasn't necessary they're, they're older they're older they're wiser but look i do respect passion i've never said anything negative i, I think that you know people should be all in for their team so i think that one again Sorry, Waz. Incorrect framing. Okay. Now, number three, after unwavering support of Durant's Golden State decision and refusal to acknowledge criticisms, I actually think I've been fairly hard over the years on Durant on various different points. A lot of it has to do with the social media stuff. I paused when I was reading that question because I was going to add valid criticisms, but I didn't. But when we look back on that era, he took that team. To me, it's the best basketball I've ever seen played in person consistently mm-hmm. his first year there he came out of it with two titles which he needed for his legacy he came out of it with two finals mvps which he deserved and which added to his legacy he came out of it with multiple just rucker park type shots over lebron to clinch those series over an exhausted lebron who had to do literally everything yeah. to make the Cavs. and the best part of it is guys like you who spent the whole time calling him a role player and demeaning him have no answer to the fact that he does have the rings and he does have the I trophies. I called the experience unfulfilling for Durant and unfulfilling for fans and less interesting than the Warriors would have been otherwise. And I have been validated on just about every front. Yeah, I, And it is what it is. I mean, you can spin it how you want to spin it. But the bottom line is that Look, Kevin the, Durant... No, the universe has responded here. Kevin uh, Durant has decided to partner with Kyrie Irving for the rest of his wait, career. Wait, wait, wait. So the universe responded by career-altering injury is that what you're saying the basketball no that is not what i'm trying to say here well that's what happened well what i'm trying to tell you that was the that was the biggest uh you know change of direction moment was it not yeah but i mean look he kevin duran is now partnering with a a player who could not be less golliver you know um, that is we talk true. Talk about basketball principles. That is true. And look, I was the first person who came out and bashed the decision. I, I bashed it more loudly and more vociferously than anybody when he signed with uh, Kyrie Irving. And I think that when you do have certain principles, 
it's important to realize that other human beings aren't going to live up to your standard on every single decision. Mm. I can praise his Golden State Warriors decision without also praising his Brooklyn Nets decision. Otherwise, I would just be blindly loyal to a fellow human being. That would be silly. Okay. I think that he made the right priority decision in Golden State, and it paid off for him very nicely, and he will deserve, uh, history will give him the respect that he has earned and deserved. I think he got himself into a really tough spot, and the last 12 months have gone not well for him, obviously. And now he's stuck into a, a different chapter of his career that ultimately... So KD is still welcome in the Church of Gulliver, even if he's partnering with this like blasphemer here. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest basketball players of all time, one of the most unique talents, and we get caught up in these little narrative things, but people need to take a step back and go way easier on Kevin Durant in general. Yep. That does not make me happy to watch him tie the rest of his career to Kyrie Irving, and there's no question who I will scapegoat for the rest of this stuff. <laughs> that decision has already been made. Let's be very clear. That decision was made two years ago. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm cool with that. Um, yeah, the Nets thing, at some point we need to revisit it because I do think that there so is a little bit of upside here, there. Here's my heater take, all right? Okay. A um, lot of credit, like you're mentioning, for Brooklyn's amazing culture and convincing these stars that they want to play. And I just – okay, I saw Sean Marks over at the gym today. He's wearing Adidas. Uh-huh. You cannot tell me that if you are the person in charge of recruiting and deserving the most credit for getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, yeah, that you're wearing Adidas. Why that? Because they're both Nike athletes. They're both Nike signature well, I mean, athletes. They've yeah. been that forever. There's no possible way that if you were the reason and like the major factor of that decision, that you're an Adidas guy. So you're, are you – alleging that Sean Marks was basically just a bystander as I'm not alleging it I'm just saying that like if we're ranking the top priorities of like who deserves the credit here I don't think that we should give rush to give the credit to their front office I think you give it to the organization the fact that the brother city of New York the the city (laughs) of New York nation rock nation the ties there I just think that Sean Marks was not a negative right but I don't think he was like, uh, you know. Definitely not a selling point. That's, Let's not kid ourselves. That, that's what I'm trying to say. And it, it's actually, I'm not trying to pick on him. Yeah. But I, it, it was just a very stark example of like, look, if you were really in the club and you're this power broker, first of all, you're wearing KDs or you're wearing Kyries, you know. Yeah. You're, you're with the team. No, look, Sean Marks did as well as he possibly could have over the last three years, and the Nets should be commended for that. He did make a major mistake. And they did a good job clearing space to put themselves in position to win this summer. The actual win and how that happened is a story that is probably independent of whatever the Nets have been doing over the past few years, um, which is fine. I also think we might want to chew through the Clippers sides of the recruiting thing because I think a lot of the early rush – was to kind of crown Jerry West because he's had that. Uh, I feel bad for the actual Clippers staffers because Jerry West gets credit for literally everything they do well. And I think Jerry West is an amazing figure throughout NBA history. And he has, like, the mythology is well-earned. But at this point, I'm not sure how involved he is in the day-to-day operations of this. He goes to a lot of Clipper games. He's obviously very close to Steve Ballmer. I think he's a very trusted voice. Uh, but again, this is a Kawhi Leonard decision, yeah. right? And the fact that he's out there recruiting Paul George proactively, like, hey, here's my plan. Let's go do this. That plan comes together because of Kawhi, right? not because of uh, Paul George. And the same thing is true for Durant and, and I think Rich Kleiman as well. I mean, those are the guys who ultimately decided, hey, this Brooklyn's going to be the spot. 
and this is where we want to go. Those are the guys that deserve the credit for putting this together. And I think, again, trying to just rush to praise the front offices, it's sort of a vestige of a previous era Mm -hmm. where that was more true or those guys had more influence or they were the true movers and shakers, right? And I think that we kind of saw that play out in Miami with Pat Riley, right? He was the godfather. Yeah. Well, what did the godfather do when, you know, LeBron left the family? Right. How'd that look? There's no question. So I just we just need to change the the credit giving here. Keep the focus on the players and the people who are, you know, uh, working with the players closely. For example, Dennis Robertson, he deserves more credit. He deserves a lot of credit. Now we've given him yeah. for sure. And uh, I hate how he played it out in San Antonio. I'll never forgive them for that. But he deserves a ton of credit for how this whole thing came together. And if we're saying who had more influence here, Dennis Robertson or Jerry West, and who's gotten more credit for it? Right, I think like Dennis gets like ninety percent of the credit, but ten percent of the attention. Yeah, and Jerry the other way, and I think well, those two th- should be flipped. Front office deserves credit in the same way that Sean Marks over the last few years deserves a lot of credit. The Clippers deserve a ton of credit for being clear-eyed about what was possible with Blake Griffin and pulling the trigger to clear all of that out. And the, the Chris Paul trade was the beginning of that. When Kenny, the sign and trade to Houston was a big win on the Clippers side. If they didn't want to keep him, being able to get valuable assets back like Montrez Harrell uh, was a huge yeah. part of- and, and they'll be the first ones to say they backed into some of those wins, Yeah, but they also orchestrated some of those wins really, really well. Yeah, and they cultivated a culture that got the best out of those guys, which is another thing that's harder to do and another sort of inefficiency today um so you're not with me on sean marks's shoes though uh not entirely i just think it's a tell look more than anything else i'm proud of you for remaining strong and firm in your convictions despite the universe clearly conspiring against the church of gulliver oh yeah life is so hard i'm gonna have two super teams in la to go watch every year man oh woe is me i could be a whiner like you and all these other emailers and complaining no it's really tough i'm i'm legitimately jealous of what your basketball existence is going to be next year yeah. it's very very frustrating I mean, Waz is up there in minnesota just begging for d'angelo russell <laughs> I who don't know also why. comes to california <laughs> i mean come on Waz. yeah Waz is one of our favorite wolves fans a longtime listener to open floor i don't know why he still watches basketball uh, but i appreciate him for hanging in there and uh, with that, Ben, let's run through a couple podium questions. First, it's been way too long since we've done the podium. I love the podium questions. We should bring the podium back in a we big should. way. We should also bring the lantern back at some point. Um, oh, it's coming. Christopher says, just FYI, in my daily workplace, availability is the best ability, is what I tell carpenters who show up late to the job. It's great. It's kind of a dick move, but they're late, and they're no- they know they're going to get sassed. So, Christopher asks, what other abilities are in the top 10? And, Ben, before I even let you answer, Mm, mm. I just want to tell people that you should not be encouraging Ben as he sort of cultivates this religion of accountability here. It's already gone too far, gone to his head. The Instagram Mm. DMs are fuel to him, and uh, I don't like where we're headed in general, but well, give first me your of all, take. And also, if you're actually telling someone in your workplace <laughs> availability is the best ability, I would quit on the spot. I hope you've had at least a few carpenters who look you in the eye and tell you, I don't know. Well, here's the thing, though. I actually think it's a great workplace move because it's it's the embodiment of 
I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. It's uh-huh. like, you have let me down. You have like fallen short of the professional standard. And if you do just get kind of cursed out, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm used to that. You know, that that's the standard. I think this actually uh, cuts deeper and it's more likely to change uh, human behavior. It's uh-huh. more likely to get a positive response because you're forcing somebody to think about their actions uh, or in this case, uh, lazy inactions. So Christopher, I think you're doing a bang up job uh, with the carpenters and, and keep that going. In terms of uh, some of the other abilities, I mean, I, I've also mentioned how you know consistency or reliability is the most underrated ability. Yep. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, I would say completeness uh, is a big one for me. You know, do you have holes? How damaging are those holes? Um, that's a, a huge top 100 pre- uh, prerequisite. Um, I would also say you know leadership, off court, you know that kind of stuff definitely factors in for me. How much do you love the game is probably, I would, would maybe even say more than uh, availability, you know? <laughs> I can't believe, I kind of zoned out for a second and then came back and was like, wow, he's really reading out his top 10 abilities here. No, I mean, it's sort of like the commandments, you know? I guess I'd have to, you know. This is the end of summer. Here we are. <laughs> I would really have to make a priority list. Maybe I'll do that uh, God, at yes. some point during August. You but can I, do that on your national park journeys. But I do think the most important thing uh, above any ability is a central love for the game. Okay. The most important ability is can you get a bucket at the end of a playoff game? But um, it is what it is. Kevin says, how did two guys who pride themselves on language and word usage fail to combine an earthquake with the Kawhi Paul George moves and point out the seismic shift that just happened? I feel like we did allude to the earthquake pretty heavily I think I may have thrown in something about tectonic plates. No, the fault lines have definitely shifted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we did that. Sports media did that as a whole fairly well. And honestly, uh, I tried to show restraint where yeah. I could, no, but well, it was pretty amazing. Well, first of all, you were worried that people were going to die, so you were trying to like have us downplay that in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, which I appreciated that because you know where my mind was going. Like, let's have as dumb of the possible wordplay. And I was workshopping a lot of different <laughs> headlines uh at the arena that were so bad that people like i didn't even know i, I did audibly groan you were telling right. paolo you your headline and right I was like oh my god really <laughs> yeah well there was like act of god you know comparisons um but <laughs> needless to say i don't know if we should be taking uh crap for that yeah I feel, come on listeners no look we were we we're showing restraint um but either way it was still incredible and something that will only seem more incredible as the years pass Before we finish out, I want to give a shout-out to Kevin and Dan, two Raptors fans from Toronto. They had a third friend with them. I I forget his name. They also had two girlfriends with them who were politely hanging out watching Summer League basketball, which is really the ultimate show of true love, uh, hanging in there and watching. Well, let's not give them too much credit. They got a trip to Mexico City out of it. This was like the tack on at the oh, end of the trip. Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm not trying to down them. I'm not trying to turn this into like a competition between us and the girlfriends or anything, but <laughs> just saying like they're coming out of this okay. Okay. So, well, then shout out to Kevin and Dan for negotiating a stopover at Vegas Summer League at the end of an otherwise legitimate normal vacation. Uh, but either way, they came through. They had Sharp and Golliver jerseys. I got to sign a Fred Van Vliet jersey. Uh, it was awesome. 
So great to see those guys. Those are two of our longest supporters as, as members of the Open Floor Globe. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're getting out of it anymore. I think we're getting more out of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the amount of, you know, street teaming, I think is what they call it, <laughs> that these guys they're do for us. hard for us. I mean, they had a T-shirt with my Twitter logo or my Twitter header on it. Yep. Um, or Avatar, I guess is what it's called. Um, Giannis Inc. They were getting stopped by random people from various countries asking them about Giannis Inc. Honestly, they could barely walk as they were making their way through the Thomas and Mac concourse. People were right. just like, where did you get that? How do I buy one? I so shout out to them. I hope they start their own little business. I'm just worried they're too good for us. <laughs> they're in too deep at this point. I think there's no question that they're too good for us. Um, and then finally, an email from David who says... Oh, this is another one with my philosophies. I recently attended my five-year college reunion, and I need to thank you two for giving me a phrase that lasted me all weekend long. Some backstory. I had gotten stuck in a conversation with a girl I once knew pretty well, but hadn't kept up with at all. She wound up being kind of a social climber toward the end of college and started dating a guy senior year that definitely ran with a richer crowd. While talking with her at the reunion, this guy walked over and I was reminded that they had gotten engaged a few years back. I talked with the two of them for about five or so minutes about the engagement and very quickly picked up on a mostly miserable vibe that they gave off together. Their social media presence shows a very charmed life, living in Manhattan, doing wedding, wedding photo oh, shoots, man. et cetera. We, we all know those people, Andrew. <laughs> yes. Fronting on the gram. I know it very, very well. But, he says, after that conversation, it was clear that the actual situation wasn't that great. When I returned to my friends, my girlfriend asked how she was doing. I said, she seems like a bystander to her own reality, which the group absolutely loved. Mm. The rest of mm. the weekend, mm. my friends kept going back to that same phrase, and it became a huge hit among the group. It wasn't until the last day that I credited a basketball podcast as the source of this wonderfully apt description for some of our millennial classmates. So cheers to you, and also shout out to Mello, without whom that term may never have come into existence. I mean, all I can say is I defended myself pretty well against uh, Waz's attack earlier, but this email is the clearest uh, defense I could possibly get. <laughs> and for guys like you... Congrats, you got Mello right, you and the no, rest of the internet. No, for guys like you and Waz who are resistant to my philosophies, you can see what happens... For David, not only does he have a phenomenal catch-up with two people he realizes he's in definitely a better position in life than, yep. which is good for his own ego, but he clearly got to experience... It's always great to meet someone who's like big on the gram and be like, actually, your life is kind of depressing to me. Well, especially if they're high school people who were like, you know, social climbers and, you know, presumably cool. Uh -huh. It's a nice, you know, reality moment of like, you know what? I did things the right yeah. way. Life's maybe, working out for maybe me. Maybe I was a little bit of a late bloomer, whatever, but I'm doing it big. But not only that, he gets the cherished memories with his friendships where they think he's funny, witty, plugged <laughs> in. I mean, this could be your life, Andrew. Open floor is for the people. I just have a couple notes here. Number one, I believe the original quote was, he seems like a bystander to his own life, not his own reality. That was describing Carmelo Anthony two to three years ago. Shout out to David for listening throughout that entire time. 
I do wish that he had credited Open Floor specifically as the source of that description. Yeah, come on, David. These guys got our faces on T-shirts. So exactly. You, we need you to join the street team. Step your game up, David. And finally, I just want to say that it's very frustrating to me because yeah. Mello as a bystander to his own life is so searing and mean that it forces me to become a mellow defender. My prior podcast co-host, Juliet Littman, was also very down on Carmelo Anthony, and then I come with you, and you're just like hating on him left and right. It's not okay, and again, I have to become a mellow advocate, which is not the greatest place in the world to be either. But um, I'm glad at least that David got some good laughs out of it at the college reunion. I'm confident that if Juliet and I are both on the same side of an argument and you're on the other side. <laughs> That's true. It's got to be 99.9% .9 chance That's that we're right. That's a great point. The only place you guys would overlap is somewhere, something that is just inarguably true. But um, shout out to Mello. I hope you find a role somewhere in the NBA. It would be fun to have a Mello farewell tour. You know, you've done a lot of shout outs here on yeah. this episode. <laughs> you're really into the shout out mo moment. I just want to say... We we're goofy today, guys. You can hear it in our voices. It's but, the end of the summer. But part of it, yeah, part of it's timing. But part of it also was just these awesome questions that we got and the engagement factor from everybody who's like not just listening to what we're saying, but really hearing us, Andrew. Really hearing our souls. God, <laughs> you're killing me. <laughs> and by the way, it's actually the beginning of the summer. It's the end of the NBA calendar, but. Here we are. In know? any event, I was wondering. Ben is planning a seven-day trip through like six different national parks. Actually, thanks for doing that because I was just about to plug my Instagram, at Ben.Golliver. Guys, follow along. It's going to be epic. I cannot wait to see what I get into. Andrew, uh, this has been really fun. Uh, have a safe flight home to D.C. and back to reality. Don't be a bystander. And guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts uh, by searching for two words. It's open floor. Find the page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. We're going to keep these podcasts coming to you uh, throughout the summer. So we appreciate your support. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor and email us just like everybody else did today we got some great emails that's why we were so goofy you guys put us in that mood open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com and andrew until next week i will talk to you all right man